Welcome to the Exec MBA Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Twitty, and you are listening to a new episode. On this episode of the podcast, I'd like to feature a conversation I recently recorded with Michelle Mullaney. Michelle is a Global Executive MBA Format student in our class of 2020, and she and I recently sat down to talk about so many things. Why she decided to pursue an MBA, uh, what brought her to Darden, why she chose our Global Executive MBA Format, what advice she has for veterans who are considering an MBA, as well as a new job she recently took with a hospital in the Philadelphia area. So wide-ranging conversation ahead. I think you're going to enjoy this interview. So without further ado, here is my interview with Michelle Mullane. Michelle, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. All right. Uh, What a treat having you here today. Uh, You drove in from Philadelphia to be here. Um, So let's talk a little bit more about you. Who are you and what's your background? Sure. Uh, Well, thank you for having me. Uh, It's quite a privilege to be here to talk about uh, my experience. Um, I am an administrator at a hospital system just outside of Philadelphia called Mainline Health. Um, I was previously with the Inova Health System for about 10 years here locally in Northern Virginia. And I just moved to uh, the Philadelphia area to take over this program. And I am running... Uh, substance abuse and psychiatric services for the entire health system. And the goal is to grow and expand those services uh, within the Philadelphia suburbs. Um, My background is uh, quite interesting. I'm a social worker by education, so this is my uh, second career. And I arrived at my first career as a social worker through law enforcement. I was in the Marine Corps, and I was enlisted, and I worked in military police. I worked as an undercover narcotics agent and did a lot of work, uh, but unfortunately saw the downsides of um, uh, poverty and uh, other social inequities. And uh, saw, worked with kids who were um, put into juvenile detention for being involved with selling drugs and things like that. And I thought, gee, there has to be a better way to do this. Um, There has to be a better way to treat kids who are Um, victims of their own circumstances. Um, So after the Marine Corps and that law enforcement experience, I wanted to be a part of a solution. So I chose social work as my profession. I worked in that for about 13 years in various healthcare settings, um, in uh, HIV work in New York City. I worked in a veterans, uh, for for the Veterans Administration in New York City, and then I moved to Virginia. And um, I've had lots of different jobs within the hospital system, but as a vice president for behavioral health, I realized that my social work career was not giving me enough of the skills necessary to take the programs to the next level. And it was at that point that I realized I needed to um, either get some sort of certificate or additional classes in business or just commit and get the full MBA. And that's how you came to Darden. That is how I came to Darden. I saw different classes and um, it was immediate uh, that the program at Darden was um, exceptional and met my needs. And so here I am. So Darden is a general management school Um, for many prospective students. They're like, what exactly does that mean? Um, We reframe it as, you know, it's a way of getting a very broad foundation in business. Um, Did that appeal to you as someone who was coming from I think what would someone consider a non-traditional background, although that sort of traditional, non-traditional binary is not really that applicable anymore. But nevertheless, as you were telling your story, didn't hear a lot of uh, business, uh, Mm -hmm. certainly social work and uh, behavioral health, as you mentioned. 
Um, did the sort of general management business foundation appeal to you? Yes, very much. Um, I knew that I did not want to have a specific focus, um, mostly because I was at the executive level in my organization and I saw firsthand the needs in for general managers uh, for in operations to have knowledge and understanding of finance and to understand uh, strategy and the different fields that are covered in an MBA, but certainly um, wanted to develop each of those skills, um, but not necessarily needing a specific focus on anything. Yeah. That's the thing that we talk with prospective students a lot. I mean, if you, if you think about where you're going in your career, it's not really a specialist track when you're talking about managing and leading, which is the aspiration for our students. It may not be the first job they take after this program, but it's definitely the horizon. Mm -hmm. And uh, you're not going to be the technical person in the room. You're going to be thinking about how to leverage all of this expertise around you. That's right. Is that something that you think the program has helped you with? or 100%. Um, I think that First of all, I'm able to speak to the finance people in our organization. I'm able to sit at the table with the CFO, with other stakeholders within the organization and then externally. And I think that this program certainly has allowed me to uh, be a valued member of external teams and with both within and outside of my organizations. Um, it has helped me see leadership throughout the organization from a very high level and tie that into operations and strategy. It's really the combination of those different factors. And when you start seeing how one impacts the other, um, how you lead a finance team, how you lead an IT team, how you lead nurses and doctors is all very different. And understanding their language, uh, being able to speak to them on their level and let them know that you understand them is, is critical. And this program has certainly helped me see that and filter the different general management skills um, appropriately. Yeah, we, we talk about Darden, sort of general management, all this is case method, code for leadership development. So it's it's great to hear that you feel like you've been able to make, make that progression. One of the things that the students that have been on the podcast have talked a lot about is how you have your set of experiences and you're put in a classroom with a group of people who have very different experiences. Mm -hmm. Uh, I imagine coming, you know, your path as sort of veteran to working in the healthcare space. Um, you maybe maybe have been around a lot of healthcare professionals. Um, has the diversity in the classroom helped you uh, grow along this this path? Absolutely. Um, I think that we are very fortunate in that we have military veterans, we have CFOs, we have real estate folks, finance guys who are working on Wall Street. Um, it the mix of people has contributed to every single class we have had, um, bar none. Uh, we had an interesting discussion the other day, and it, it, it dawned on me that you know the general public does not fully understand healthcare, how it's delivered, why it's delivered, why is it so complex, why are there so many debates around it. And we had an interesting case in class the other day where we were talking about marketing a pharmaceutical um, and what it would take to get a hospital to uh, bring this pharmaceutical on when it was very clearly needed and beneficial to patients. But we were able to talk through, and this was in marketing class, and we were able to talk through the drug development process and into the healthcare system. But I was able to share the difficulties inherent to delivering that drug throughout a uh, you know, 10,000 plus employee hospital and, and the cultural differences that are involved, the, the financial implications, the, who are the stakeholders. And the ensuing discussion really was one where the class said, gosh, 
we are so grateful that we have people who are in this business to explain this to us because our conversation would have taken a completely different track had we not had an operator in healthcare in this classroom. Um, and Ron Wilcox is the professor, and he said the same thing. He said, I've taught this case many, many times. Each time it's different, but this is the first time we have ever taken it down this path. That's incredible. And I think a, a really great demonstration of the power of the case method, how it mm -hmm. leverages the expertise in, of the room. You know, we talked to a lot of prospective students, some of whom are from a healthcare background. There are healthcare focused MBA programs. Mm -hmm. um, and invariably, the conversation turns to, uh, you know, I'm looking at this, you know, what does Darden have in the healthcare space? And I think I, I want you to sort of test mm -hmm. something that I've shared. Uh, and I, I'm curious your thoughts about it. So what I, what I sometimes tell the students, oftentimes I'll tell the students is you really kind of know healthcare. Absolutely. Isn't it the business side that you need more of? Um, is, yeah. Does that resonate with you? It does. In fact, I say that exact statement all the time to people is I know healthcare inside and out. Uh, where healthcare systems, um, as, is if, if you can imagine, as large systems uh, don't do very well and where they need help is leveraging the, the business mindset, business skills, business acumen, and merging that with the delivery of a very uh, personal um, uh, part of life, which is, you know, health and wellness. Um, it is difficult because there are large groups of people um, who are involved in big systems and large contracts, and it's very complicated. And that is very bifurcated from the healthcare delivery itself. Um, and so really leveraging this degree um, from the business standpoint and being able to translate that to providers and um, different leaders within the organization uh, who have always provided healthcare uh, is an incredible asset. Um, I know that that was largely what led to me making a transition in the middle of a program and moving to Philadelphia um, at a time that probably wasn't the best time in my life. But it was these business skills that I have learned even after one year in the program that that system was able to recognize and say, we need those in our system. Um, but I do know healthcare and most people who are in healthcare um, are hungry for more business skills. I know when I bring these um, elements to my teams, even little ideas and snippets that I learn in class, they are hungry for it and they're excited about it and they love that they can make their work more valuable and that they can be more efficient and therefore we can provide care to more people. I was, I was curious about your uh, career change. Um, did you enter the program? thinking that you'd make a, make a switch? Was that something that was on your mind? No, not at all. I thought I would get the business acumen and I would, um, you know, be able to stay in my job and perhaps uh, rise in the ranks at the previous, previous health system where I was. I had no intention of moving, um, but this opportunity presented itself when I was speaking at a conference and uh, I was actually talking about a turnaround I did at Inova where we went from losing about $300,000 a year to a net profit of about $6.2 in a year. And I presented on that um, topic at a conference, and my now CEO boss um, saw me and said, we, we want to do that. So they really, um, it was a great opportunity, so I thought, I can't, yeah. I'll take it. Well, I think, you know, again, we also spend a lot of time talking with prospective students about aspirations and, you know, what do they hope to get out of the program from a career goal standpoint. I find that there's a lot of misperceptions of executive MBA students and their career goals. Um, part of it is it varies from program to program. 
But I think there's a tendency, just again, talking with many prospective students, that they assume that every student in our program is a climber, you know, mm -hmm. and, you know, the reality I think increasingly is that we see that students are at least mm -hmm. open to opportunity. Why not? You have this very powerful credential. Absolutely. You're doing this to expand your opportunities. Why not at least see what's out there? That's right. Um, and I think that is the power of the executive program is that I can talk to people who are working in the field of accounting, who are working as consultants, um, who are in different fields um, working in marketing. And um, I can talk to them about what that really is versus my perception. Uh, and that I, I don't think that we should ever limit ourselves. I'm in my 40s now, and um, I feel perfectly content making a switch if that's, what, um, if that's where this path leads me. So on the podcast, one of our, I would say if you did a word cloud of like top topics, uh, the largest word would be about sort of work, life, school balance. Uh, it's obviously more than one word, but just how do you manage your schedule? You're somebody that has a lot on, on your plate. Do you want to talk about all the things that you're doing in addition to, uh, in addition to school? Uh, sure. Work? Um, so I am a parent, um, and I have a son who's older, so I'm fortunate. Um, I have dogs and, uh, I try to maintain the balance of my personal life and I take surfing trips once in a while. I've been able to add a few days onto each global trip and take some time for myself. Um, I am the president of the veterans club here for, uh, here at Darden and I'm a community rep for the Charlottesville cohort. Um, so that has taken up some time and, um, really required me to be down to almost the minute and hour of my schedule. Um, I can say my time management skills have improved, um, tremendously since I started the program. Um, and, uh, you know, I certainly, it's still a work in progress, but I think that if that is ever a, a concern or something, I, I encourage my classmates and anyone considering this program to know that, um, that really you can master your schedule and master what it takes to be successful in this program. And I think too, this, it's an opportunity to really, uh, leverage some of the relationships that we build. I have built some tremendous friendships, um, and professional relationships, uh, in this program that I know I'll carry on for the rest of my life. And, um, it's that group mentality that really we bring each other along when we need to. So obviously you have a lot on, on your plate. Um, and you decided to add more in the form of student leadership. Uh, you, you are here in Roslyn because we're having a club night later, mm -hmm. uh, which is exciting. It's uh, first one of those that we've had um, different activities, sometimes around orientation, but this is yeah. the first real real club night we've had. Yeah, It's it's exciting. We're going to have alumni here, too, uh, mm -hmm. who have been involved with some of these clubs and organizations. Um, what attracted you to, to serving in this way and being involved? Um, I think that's the social worker in me that I wanted to initially be a community rep. Um, I think that it was actually a fellow classmate, um, an active duty member who asked, who nominated me for the president of the Veterans Club. And he said, um, you know, he really wanted to, he thought that I would be good in this role um, just because I have transitioned out of the military successfully. I've had a, a career um, after the military and, um, wanted to have a different perspective uh, for the Veterans Club. So um, it was really at his urging that I decided to run and then I was elected. And I'm really excited about the things that we will be able to do um, in the next coming months with some guest speakers, um, uh, et cetera. And I think that it, it is my way of also giving back to uh, my fellow service members and to, to veterans in the program. Because sometimes I think that they... Um, 
coming out of the military is very risky. It's different. It, it's no different than coming out of medical residency where you've been in a very prescribed world for a long time and you come out with no, uh, no instructions anymore. Nobody's telling us what to do. And often with families who are relying on them. And I think that a lot of the vets come out of the program and they go into more traditional fields because that's where they're able to get jobs. They're not necessarily encouraged to think out of the box, to think creatively about what a, new, a next career might be. Um, and I want to help them do that. I want to help them think, you know, if you are interested in finance, like this is how we can make those connections. Um, so bringing um, other veterans and alumni who have successfully transitioned into those careers um, to our current cohort, I think um, is very valuable and meaningful. It's a really important topic. Uh, it's one that we've uh, engaged with a little bit here on the podcast. We had a couple students uh, from the class of 2020 on talking about uh, that transition process, some tips, some things you want to uh, keep in mind. But but you're so right. You go from this world for, go from this world where the first step, next step, next step, how you progress, the people you should know, the sort of pathway, very clear to a nebulous world where all of a sudden people are telling you to network and do all this kind of yeah. stuff that you maybe haven't had to do before. That's right. And, um, you know, there's a lot of, uh, veterans programs and career conferences and mm -hmm. things like that, but even that's overwhelming. Like it how is. do you, how do you do that? You know, what do you, who should you be talking to? How do you filter the, the good from maybe the, the less helpful. And yeah. I mean, you know, it, it can be very, very challenging. Yes, it can. And I think our, my fellow students are experiencing that right now. So um, the other other piece I wanted to talk to you about is your community rep work. Uh, we've had the Roslyn community reps on the podcast, mm -hmm. and I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about some of the things uh, that you're doing. Yeah, we have partnered with them on the events um, that they that we decided to have here at Roslyn just for convenience and um, uh, just higher likelihood of, of folks being able to come. Just it's more accessible in this location than Charlottesville. Um, so we have partnered with them on those different events. Uh, we are doing a day of service uh, in two weeks, I think, with Accenture, where we will go to uh, Sprout Therapeutic Riding Center and do a day of service painting, um, you know, hanging cabinets, doing general maintenance. Um, and this riding center is... Uh, it is a place where kids who have kids and adults who have special needs, either physical or mental needs and, and different abilities, are able to go and uh, do some level of therapeutic uh, horseback riding. So it's a very special place, and we'll partner with Accenture on that. Um, and then we did recently; we just did a drive with the Children's Hospital at UVA and uh, donated supplies, school supplies for kids who are in the hospital for longer periods of time. So that was a really fun. Uh, drive that we were able to do and people participated in the way that they could. Uh, that's all great stuff. I, we will, we are often asked by prospective students. I wonder if you find this question surprising. Um, what are the students do doing to have an impact in their community? Right. Mm -hmm. So you, it's a privilege uh, to be here. Um, you know, yeah. one of the things we, we try to get students to reflect on is, you know, how privilege has shaped your life and the ability to be in school and even work while, you know, while pursuing your MBA and all the people that make that possible and all, all the things that go into this. Um, I think it's a great question from prospective students. And, and I, I think of this as a place that cares uh, mm -hmm. about sort of getting, giving back to the community. Are you surprised that prospective students ask that question? Um, is that, is that something that, uh, was it on your mind as a prospective student, how, uh, you might be able to come and have an impact beyond the classroom, beyond the four walls of the school? Not so much, mostly because I am 
very fortunate and I give in my job every day, uh, providing mental health and substance abuse services and meeting families where they are. It's something that is inherent to what I do. Um, so I'm, I, I don't know that I was necessarily looking for it, but I am not, and, and I'm not surprised that students are looking to make an impact in business because we see that more and more. I think um, this is a very special place in that we are able to merge uh, sort of social consciousness and uh, giving back in various ways with the business degree. And I can say that that's consistent throughout the whole program. And a lot of conversations is equity and fairness and, and privilege and talking about these different topics in a real and meaningful way. Um, and that I'm very grateful for that. So it's nice to hear that incoming students or prospective students are curious about that because it's um, something near and dear to my heart. Well, it makes a lot of sense when you think about the story of business now. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you're leading an organization, you have to be very clear about what your values are. Uh, maybe in a way that 20, yeah. 30 years ago, you know, it was probably about shareholder value or, mm -hmm. you know, think, thinking about that. See increasingly this shift to stakeholder value, um, which the roots of that uh, that thinking is obviously very much at Dart. Ned Freeman mm -hmm. and, and the work that he's done um, that's a big shift. Um, yeah. And you see now companies trying to sort of say, "Here's what we stand for." Yeah, that matters to consumers. Absolutely, it does matter to consumers. I think it matters to employees. Um, we've studied a lot of different cases um, about different businesses who really embrace that, and the discussions that come out are very robust and very rich. And at times we end up as a class either divided or not, but, but saying, gee, I would not want to work for this company. And this is, and it has nothing to do with the profitability or anything. It just has to do with who they are. And it really shapes the, the identity of a company. And, um, that's important. Well, Darden has ethics as part of the core curriculum. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, I, I am around during the weekend residencies, uh, helping with class visits and different things. Um, I'm always struck that students seem to come out of those classes and leading organizations where you have these really sort of, you know, uh, in, intense conversations about difficult topics. Yeah. They come out of the classic really fired up, like yeah. jazzed about all of this stuff. Absolutely. Um, is that, that sounds like that's your experience. Absolutely. We have great discussions, lots. And this is, again, where having such richness of experience and ages and et cetera is really relevant in the classroom. Um, but we have very rich discussions. We were lucky enough to do uh, to complete our ethics class in Europe on in the global re residency. Um, and we were able to really infuse uh, how culture affects our ethics and how culture shapes ethics. Um, and as somebody who works in healthcare, this is something we talk about every day. So, yeah, people get fired up, they get excited. We have really rich debates about it. It's exciting. And again, uh, another great sort of plug for the case method is that, particularly in those courses, you know, you get to hear many different perspectives. And I think. I was uh, at an event last night uh, where the dean was speaking, and, and he he was highlighting the value of that, right? If you are a leader, you have to really be able to understand how many different people might view the exact same issue, right? right. And, and to be aware, and you're not just leading a, a portion of the organization or just a few people at the organization. Mm -hmm. You're leading everybody on your on your team, and and they may not always see the same same issue in the same way. That's right, and I think that again, this goes back to the general management question. But I think of communications immediately, and I can't remember the statistic, but there were I think thirty percent of information is transmitted from my level of an organization to the frontline staff, and so 
remembering that and then remembering our ethics and remembering how I think of uh, an approach a problem. Um, and then how do we transmit that throughout an organization? I've got 600 employees um, indirectly. Um, that is a big general management problem. And how do you really translate those ideas and thoughts to everyone within the organization such that you're encouraging conversation and debate, um, uh, you know, and, and inquiry from, from that level of the organization as well? Because that's very important. Well, you think about who would be shaping, in your, in your case, uh, patient experience. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's probably not, not the senior leadership. It's probably the frontline staff. You know, if Absolutely. someone has a positive or a negative experience, uh, it's likely the result of an interaction at that level, more, right. more likely. Um, or, you know, maybe they have a billing experience or something like that. Right. And uh, so all of it becomes really important, particularly in this age where you have consumer reviews and you have, you know, obviously a lot of surveys and, you know, how are, how are hospitals or any organization judged? You know, there's sort of, there's this opinion aspect of That's it. That's right. Um, yeah, they're on Google. Yeah, yeah. very much so. <laughs> uh, the other, the other thing um, that I want to talk to you about is that you are a Gimba format student and you had mentioned yes. uh, your trip to Europe. Uh, you have one more trip looming at the time uh, of the recording of this podcast. You're uh, going to India in quarter eight. Um, how has being a, a global executive MBA format student shaped your program experience or informed uh, what you've learned? Um, I think in two major ways. The first is that the concept of culture and where we are in the world is um, omnipresent in the program. Um, an example is that we studied operations and economics in China when the trade war was sort of looming in, in this past March. And to be in the country of China and experience all that was happening with the economics just made learning about uh, you know, different economic theory much more fascinating, much more relevant. Uh, we were able to apply it in, in real time. Uh, so that is very exciting. Um, seeing operations in Brazil versus operations in China and the contrast between the two countries and how that's informed by their legislation and their, their government, labor laws, etc., it really brings a richness to a conversation about operations and, and why it's not binary. Um, so those experiences and being in the country and actually seeing how the cultures and governments intersect with business in real time is just so powerful. Um, we were in Germany, we were in Berlin, and then in Paris this summer, and it, the the two countries, and we, we often, as Americans, I think, talk about Europe as you know one sort of entity, but the two cultures and business practices could not be more different than one another, and that's shaped through uh, from their histories and, and different wars and, and things like that. So really just being there and seeing, going from Berlin one day to Paris and ex- experiencing those extremes was really powerful. Well, if you think about the history of the European Union and the Eurozone, um, France and Germany are the big players. Mm-hmm. Um, deep history between those two two countries, uh, not all of it positive. Um, and again, you think about the cultural difference and how do you make all of that work economically? And then, of course, you know the big story of the European Union recently is the expansion to a, a wide number of countries where all of a sudden you have wildly different cultures. Uh, right. and, and you're trying to navigate all of this and you see how it impacts uh, thinking about fiscal policy, yes. uh, social policy, uh, all these kinds of things. You have all this difference in like, how do you effectively, you know, lead this really yeah. complex organization with diverse economies um, and diverse cultures? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
And it's really interesting, too, because some countries believe it is their duty to fiscally carry some of the countries who aren't able to do so right now. And they, they actually have no problem doing that. And that's not a concept uh, that you would hear in the United States. You know, let's financially take care of another country and bring them on board and, and take care of them for X amount of years. It's very, very different. Um, did you know that you always wanted to be a Gimba format student or were there conversations along the way that, that shaped uh, shaped your interest? Yeah, I think, um, so I live my life by um, the principle of uh, if I wake up in 20 years, will I be glad that I did this? And that's why I joined the Marine Corps. Uh, that is why I um, did this program and when I, when I decided to do the program and the Gemba decision factored into that. And this goes into privilege and, and other um, sort of comments that, that we've talked about earlier, which is this is an opportunity in my life. And if I'm not going to take advantage of that in this program, when will I have an opportunity like this again um, to travel, to learn in other countries? Um, probably, probably never. And so I sometimes that's the best way for me to make a decision is to say, well, I'd be glad that I did this in 10 years. So while I'm taking out loans and, you know, able to, uh, you know, use debt, if you will, to, to kind of finance some of this, I know it will pay off in the end um, without a doubt. So you have a, a few more quarters to go. Uh, as we mentioned, uh, upcoming global residency in India. You also have some electives yeah. to take. Um, what do you? What electives are you taking? So this is a great question, um, and I like the question because my where I was when I bid on the electives. So we have to bid on them on what we think. I bid on Uganda, and I bid a lot of my points on Uganda, and it wasn't an option. So what I was left with was a bunch of classes that I never thought I'd want to take. So. After looking, uh, thinking I'd like to do entrepreneurial thinking, entrepreneurial finance, I ended up um, enrolling in those two courses and then surprisingly in strategy course and, um, gosh, I'm trying to think of the last one I'm taking. Um, oh, real estate finance and then Connie's coaching class. So those are a few. Um, I never would have thought that I would be interested in entrepreneurship and um, we just finished Ben Katz, um Entrepreneurial Thinking, so next uh, quarter will be Entrepreneurial Finance, and I am really excited because that mindset does not just translate to entrepreneurs. It translates to organizations. It translates to leaders. Um, when you can think creatively and think differently, um, you have the ability to transform. So um, it's very, very powerful, and I'm really excited. I never thought I'd be interested in strategy, and here I am lining up for strategy class. Oh, um I would like to take a moment just to recognize Vincat. I mean, mm -hmm. one of uh, true. I mean, Darden has a number of great professors. I think he's also a, a legend amongst legends, though uh, uh, he has led some mock case discussions for us recently on the road: um, New York, D.C., uh, Boston. Um, Dean Beardsley called him the Yoda of of Darden. Very wise, great, very, uh, very, very bright guy, <laughs> and incredible teacher. Uh, but you're so right about entrepreneurship as a mindset um, yeah. and just the way you look at the world, sort of ownership stake, uh, your, yeah. your problem, whatever you're trying to work on, even if it's a part of your broad company, mm -hmm. it's your business. That's right. And when you can do that, you really have the ability to just drive so much more power behind whatever it is that you're doing, whether you're changing the organizational structure or trying a new business line to think differently, to be able to flip it on its head, to be able to say this is mine and I want to have ownership versus sort of top-down management styles is really, it's empowering for people to say, you know what, we can do some great things with this one entity. And 
I'm always really struck by the, the model that's taught at Darden in terms of entrepreneurship. It's effectuation, right? So it's an iterative process, very similar to the learning experience here generally, right? It's yeah. through asking questions, getting feedback early, often, mm-hmm. doing the most with what you have. Um, there's a lot that's there. Yeah, um, there really is. And you don't realize it until you walk out with this great idea. And you're like, boy, that's the culmination of, of everything that I just learned. So, Michelle, you're a few quarters away. You talked about, a lot about you, about your experience here. You know, as you reflect on things, um, think about your application experience. We ask the same question here at the end of all these podcast episodes. Uh-huh. Um, any tips for prospective students, anything you would suggest uh, they keep in mind as, as they navigate this process? Uh, yes, I think this – I highly recommend this this program. I just – saw one of my former colleagues who I recommended the program to, and he's here, he's enrolled, he's a Gemba. So I was really excited to see him here. Um, I would say if there's ever a question in anyone's mind, um, this is a, this is a wonderful environment. It is worth every penny that I'm spending on it. Um, it has transformed me. It has transformed me as a leader, as a, as a person. Um, I have confidence that I never had, um, about business and what I've learned and I get accolades all the time for things that I've directly gotten from this program. Um, I never thought that I would have friends in their twenties, uh, and want to socialize with them, but the friendships, the relationships are ones I never, ever would have had had I not come to Darton. So if there's a question, um, I say, do it. You will not regret it. Um, I am definitely a better person for being here. Well, Michelle, we're so thrilled that you're here. Um, thank you for all that you're doing uh, for our community, for your classmates, um, you. and congratulations on all the all the career success you've had recently. I was just in Philadelphia the uh, the other night, um, and I love Philadelphia. It's, I've gotten to go there a lot as mm-hmm. part of this job. I think it's such a easy place uh, to to do our program from. I always say, like, yep. look. Uh, this class, you may notice, starts at noon mm-hmm. on Fridays. I did know. Uh, it's an hour and 50 minutes on the train. It's very, very easy. We're, we're five miles from Union Station. So if you're yeah. in Philadelphia listening to this podcast, quick plug for it's it's an easy program to do from Philadelphia. Absolutely. I come down here and, be, uh, I come down here and meet friends for dinner sometimes from Philadelphia. I come down here for the program. Um, the, the train is great because you can have a lot of productive time to read cases and catch up on, you know, email and busy work. And uh, it's affordable. So it's a really actually pleasant experience. I highly recommend um, that as a sort of uh, place to travel from. Well, it's been great talking with you, Michelle. Thanks for, yes. thanks for making time out of a busy day. And, um, you know, have a great evening. Good luck with Club Night. Thank you so much. Great talking to you. And that was my conversation with Michelle Mullaney. Again, before Matt's student in our Executive MBA class of 2020. As always, if you have any comments, suggestions, requests, anything you'd like for us to cover here on the podcast, we're all ears. We can be reached at exec, that's E-X-E-C, MBA at darden.virginia.edu. And until next time, thanks for listening.